Good evening. Good to see everyone here on a Wednesday night. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ezekiel 33. This is the third sermon we've had in Ezekiel 33, and I thought I drew the short straw. You know, didn't get, you know, maybe one quite as interesting as the last two, but I've actually been pretty, pretty excited, and I pray you are as well. So we'll begin chapter 33, verse 21. We'll finish reading throughout the chapter, and then we'll kind of jump into this thing. Ezekiel 33, verse 21. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the fugitive came, and he had opened my mouth. By the time the man came to me in the morning, so my mouth was open and I was no longer mute. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he got, to possess, he got possession of the land, but we are many. The land is surely given to us to possess. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat flesh with the blood and lift up your eyes to the idols and shed blood. Shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword. You commit abominations, and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? Say this to them. Thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword, and whoever is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured, and those who are in the strongholds and in caves shall die by pestilence, and I will make the land a desolation and a waste and her proud might shall come to an end, and the mountains of Israel shall be desolate, so that none will pass through it. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I have made the land a desolation and a waste, because of all their abominations that they have committed. Verse 30, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls, and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as my people come, and they sit before you as my people. And they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. You know, it's, it's easy to see as we jump into this that this is going to, we're kind of given this split screen view of what's going on in Babylon, at the exile, exiles there in Babylon, and what's going on to those who are left behind in Jerusalem. We get this this split-screen view, or what we could call a tale of two cities. That's what I would title this sermon, A Tale of Two Cities, that Charles Dickens novel. There were, there's, here we're going to have two cities, two people group. We're going to have two errors. We're going to have one message, one God, one way. But a tale of two cities, and I just, it's just interesting how both these miss the mark in different directions. Now this, pas- this passage is set before us here is going to have two people groups, the exiles in Babylon at the Kabar Canal and those who are left behind in Jerusalem, the poorest of the poor. 
is what was left behind there. And their response toward this judgment that's, that's ravaged Jerusalem and their attitude toward God's Word is all laid here before us tonight. You know, we can't, uh, we'd, be re, we'd be remiss to, to forget here that Ezekiel is set before these people as a watchman. And he has been a faithful watchman for some seven years, relaying to them the message of God that Jerusalem will fall, Jerusalem will fall. He's been consistent, he's been faithful delivering that message. And then after we read that passage that, that Jacob preached on the watchman, we, Todd followed it up with God's message of personal accountability. You know, you will be judged for your sins, not the sins of your father or sins of a group. You will not stand justified on the account of your fathers and your cousins. You're justified in Christ and Christ alone. Personal accountability, personal responsibility to God and His Word. So, we open up verse 21. It says, In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. Jerusalem has fallen. Now, there are some who study dates. I'm not one of those guys who really get into dates. You know, this is April of 587, or, you know, that's just not, not how I'm wired. Some who study dates, they're going to place this anywhere from six months to a year and a half after the destruction of Jerusalem. All right, and, and to be fair, we're not completely clueless on how long the trek was from Babylon to Jerusalem or Jerusalem to Babylon. We, we kind of, we, we have some pretty good indication how long that takes because of Ezra. Ezra gives us a very good gauge to work off of. Ezra 7, now this is going to be post-exile. Ezra is leading some people out of Babylon into Jerusalem, and there he's very specific. It takes him four months. So Ezra and the group he took with him, it was a four-month journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. 900 miles. Four months. So six months. If it took this fugitive six months to get the message to Ezekiel and those in Babylon, that, that works. You know, maybe, maybe longer. I mean, it's, it's hard to really know. You know, when, when Jerusalem was sacked, I mean, these people just didn't walk to Jerusalem. They were hiding. You know, they were, they were hiding in caves and, and, and possibly trying to find other survivors so they didn't have to, they weren't forced to make this trip on their own. And then when they got to Babylon, who's to say that they could just walk right in, you know? Uh, had to find their people when they got there. There's just a lot that's probably going on here. And so as you read this, everybody probably has a little bit different mental picture, but it's not going to change the meaning of this passage. So, about six months to a year and a half, if you want to go with commentators, after Jerusalem has fallen, this fugitive has, has made this trip to Ezekiel, and he tells them, Jerusalem has been struck down. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon Ezekiel the evening before the fugitive came, and he had opened my mouth. By the time the man came to me in the morning, so my mouth was open and I was no longer mute. So that's the message that this fugitive delivers. Now, Charles Feinberg has something pretty interesting here. He said the Hebrew word here for fugitive or the one that had escaped, that could be a collective noun in Hebrew. And, and no doubt there it would refer to a number of refugees. 
So that makes sense. There's probably more than one who had made that trip from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the Legacy Standard Bible actually translates it that way. It says, those who escaped from Jerusalem said the city had been struck down. So as you're building this mental picture in your head, likely several had escaped the carnage of the destruction of Jerusalem. More than likely, when they got there, there was one spokesman. One spokesman for the group. And we're told in verse 22 that, that the Lord had opened Ezekiel's mouth by the time that the fugitive came. So he was no longer mute. If you remember, he had been mute pretty much since Ezekiel chapter 3. Almost the entire, his entire prophetic ministry, he's been mute. He's only been able to speak when the Lord would open his mouth and give him words to speak. He's been mute more or less for seven years at this point. And the muteness of Ezekiel here is a sign. If you want to flip back to Ezekiel 24, Ezekiel 24 verse 26, we're told there, Ezekiel 24 verse 26, On that day, a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news. On that day, your mouth will be open to the fugitive, and you shall speak and be no longer mute. So you'll be a sign to them, and they will know that I am the Lord. Exactly as Yahweh the Lord had spoken, on that day Ezekiel's mouth was opened. What he says in chapter 24, On that day your mouth will be opened, and you shall speak. You will no longer be mute, and they will know. You're, you're a sign, so this sign has, has been fulfilled at this point. And, you know, the, the, the Jerusalem has been struck down. Ezekiel is no longer mute. So all this is kind of going on. Now that, Jeru now that Ezekiel is able to speak, we're fixing to get one of his first messages. His mouth has been loosed. We see in verse 23, the word of the Lord came to me, so he's fixing to speak again to these people here in Babylon. And, and you know, as you're kind of reading this and just really just thinking through it, praying through it, you're, what message should we be anticipating? What message should these people be anticipating? You know, Ezekiel's message concerning Jerusalem had been proven true, validating Ezekiel. He was speaking for God. He was a spokesman for God. That's come to pass. So now he has merit. Jeremiah's message back in Jerusalem, he's been proven true. He's been validated. He's speaking for God. So maybe now uh, the, the people both in Jerusalem and those in Babylon will finally listen and they'll finally submit to the Word of God. Are we anticipating this newfound trust that they have between these two prophets? Or maybe you're anticipating a message of reconciliation. I'm sorry, a message of consolation. The city's fallen. It's been burned. Uh, people have been starved to death. People have been killed by the sword. They've ate their children. It's been some dark, dark days in Jerusalem. So maybe there's a message of consolation coming. Maybe that's what we're, we're going to see. But the, the message that he delivers is yet a much-needed rebuke. A much-needed rebuke. This group in Jerusalem that we're going to read about first sees all this calamity of Jerusalem falling. The starvation, the, 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 the city being burned, those being slain. 
And they see it as God thinning the herd. They see it as cutting the fat. They're under judgment. They barely escape judgment. And yet they're completely unaffected. Completely unaffected. It's actually mind-blowing. So we'll read 23 and I'll read 24 again. The word of the Lord came to me being Ezekiel. Son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land. But we are many. The land is surely given to us to possess. So right off the bat, we initially see that this is the group of those left behind in Jerusalem, right? Because it says very plainly here, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel. This is referring to that group. This is what they're saying. This is the heart. This is the attitude of those left behind. Now, now keep in mind this. As, as Nebuchadnezzar ravaged the city that final time, we're told there that a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of Nebuchadnezzar's army, it says he left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. So the poorest of the poor was left behind. And so the poorest of the poor here is, is saying, hey, you know, this, this, this land's surely going to be given to us. And, and yet they're in this ravaged city. Like it's been just hit by an atomic bomb. And that's just what they're looking at. Actually, the NET translates it this way. And, and the way God is, is emphasizing the inhabitants of these waste places keep saying, I mean, they're standing there in, in just a wasteland, and yet they keep saying, this is for us to possess. The NET reads it this way. The ones living in these ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one man. Yet he possessed the land, yet we're many. Surely the land will be given to us for possession. Abraham was one man. One. And, you know, just building off Stephen's sermon there in Acts 7, we're told there that, that God gave, didn't even give the land to Abraham as an inheritance. He was just a sojourner there. He just was promised this land. This land was actually promised as a possession to his offspring. And we're his offspring. You see the entitlement they feel? On the hills of these atrocities, you see their arrogance. There's no humility. They're the greatest. They're the choice meat. They're the cream de la cream, as we say. The poorest of the land have become the choice meat in a matter of months. What a turn of events. Now look, the false teachers in Jerusalem may have fostered that idea. But it didn't come from God and it wasn't spoken to them by Jeremiah. Jeremiah is, is very clear in Jeremiah 24. He has a vision of the good figs and the bad figs. The good figs, very specifically, are those exiles in Babylon. The bad figs are those left behind in Jerusalem. The one Jeremiah is speaking to. And the bad figs, are, are, they're not the choice meat. They're bad figs, and actually it even says they're very bad. So bad that they cannot be eaten. So you see this, this complex they have. They think they're the, the choice meat. They think they're, they're it. 
And, and Jeremiah's already told him, no, 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 far from it. Far from it. You're bad figs. You're, you're actually so bad that you cannot be eaten. But they don't listen to Jeremiah. They, they know better. And you know, it's, I'm not going to do it, but a casual reading through Lamentation, which Jeremiah penned, that's, that's his personal first-hand account of the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, just, just a, a, a casual reading through it, it's just stunning. I mean, at, at the atrocities that happened there in Jerusalem. And oddly enough, after surviving this judgment, they still see opportunity. You know, the parts of God's Word that cause them to repent, to, ch- you know, to change, to act, those parts they ignore. Now, the theological parts, God's going to restore Israel... Those parts they misunderstand, but those are the parts they cling to. And they're unwilling to bend the knee to God's word, i.e. the mouth of Jeremiah. And their attitude is clearly exposed by God here in the beginning in verse 25. We have God's response to this. We're told in verse 25, Therefore you say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You eat flesh with the blood and lift up your eyes to your idols and shed blood, shall you then possess the land. You rely on the sword, you commit abominations, and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife, shall you then possess the land. You know, reading the Mosaic Law, which is you know, what they would have had in Leviticus 18. You know, we're told there in that blessings and curses you know, portion of Scripture that the Lord had driven out the inhabitants of the land before them and given the land to the people of Israel because they had committed abominations. He says it, Leviticus 18, 27. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. So then he calls them. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations. Don't do anything like those left in, like those Canaanites and those in land were, were guilty of doing, lest the land vomit you out and make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. So they, they just come right in and they just, you know, follow the same course that the pagans were doing before them, worshiping other gods, eating stuff. With, with blood in it, as it says. They're eating blood, lifting up their eyes to the idols, shedding blood. They committed every abominable practice that the nation before them had done. So the question is asked, shall you then possess the land? He actually asked that twice. He asked it in verse 25. He repeats that question again in verse 26. The NET translates it, Do you really think you will possess the land? I've driven those other nations out for their abominable practices and warned you, if you committed those practices, I would drive you out as well. And they're doing the very things that the the nations before them were doing. So the question is, Do you really think you will inherit the land? Yeah, they do. We're children of Abraham. We're entitled 
You know, Jesus really confronted this same attitude, you know, in the Gospels, and, and He responds there, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. You know, they think they're descendants of Abraham, but they're not doing anything like Abraham did. Abraham was a man of, of great faith. They're wicked. They're unresponsive to God's Word. They're hostile toward the prophets. Throwing Jeremiah in, in a pit, trying to silence him. And so those left behind in Jerusalem, they're, they're hardened. They have their own distorted theology that we could read about. They, they know best. You're right, they persecute Jeremiah, a true man of God. They call him a liar. This group here is going to take Scripture and they're going to make it say what they want it to say. They think they've escaped judgment, but really it's only delayed because we read in verse 27 through 29, You say this to them, thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in these waste places shall fall by the sword. And whoever is in the open field, I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and in caves shall die by pestilence. And I will make the land a desolation and a waste. And her proud might shall come to an end. And the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that none will pass through it. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have made the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations that they have committed. The Lord assures them they will not escape His wrath. They are guilty. They, they look at those who have, who have fallen before them as somehow guilty, but they're innocent, and now this land's going to come to them. All these blessings are going to flow, are going to, flow to them, and yet they're just, they're just not hearing what Jeremiah, I'm sure, is telling them over there in Jerusalem. But the Lord tells them they will fall. They will fall. There, there's... It will happen. So then we're going to transition here. We're going to read about the next group, the group of those left behind, or the group of those exiled in Babylon. 30 through 33. Now the Lord is going to turn His focus here on those exiles in Babylon. You know, you just wonder, wonder if Ezekiel possibly heard that of the hostility uh, towards God's Word in Jerusalem. Those in Jerusalem were hostile to God's Word, right? They hated the prophets of God. They hated Jeremiah. Ezekiel may have looked at how well his message was being received. You know, his message is being received quite well over in Babylon. But God is going to show him not to be misled by their empty rhetoric. So in 30 and 31, we see, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the, what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say. We'll just hold up right there. We, we're told here, as for you, son of man, your people. He doesn't say my people here. He says your people. They talk, about, they talk together about you, Ezekiel, by the walls. That's, that's publicly more likely. They publicly, in the public square, they're talking about Ezekiel. And, and in the doors of the houses, that's going to be privately, publicly, privately. They're just talking about you, Ezekiel. You see, they're inviting others to come and hear the word of the Lord. Come and hear what he has to say. There was interest. 
perhaps it was more of a curiosity than a true interest. Uh, more of a curiosity of future events, maybe. Ezekiel had warned what would happen in Jerusalem and it came to pass. What might he reveal next? More of a futuristic outlook. It may be just so they can make better business decisions. I don't know. You know, their heart is set on gain, we read here. Um, curiosity, maybe, maybe fed by an obsession of future events. Maybe it's not nothing they plan on gaining. They just want to know so they can debate and chat and argue and talk. You know, maybe I thought about this. We possibly can see seeds of this in those who have an over-infatuation with the book of Revelation. You know, I'm not belittling prophecy. No, no, I promise you I'm not. Typically, though, those who, who, those who are, are, are really craving that book more than others, they're not seeking knowledge that really affects the way they live. You know, they're... they're they, they want the knowledge to discuss, to debate, uh, you know, maybe a secret insight, which that's elements of Gnosticism, by the way. Now, I do think we should study prophecy. I, God would not have given us prophecy if it wasn't for our good. I do believe we should study it. But a hyper-focus on prophecy leaves the people unaware of their standing before God. So we, we shouldn't neglect the other parts of Scripture, the heavier parts of Scripture, the seriousness of sin, the goodness of the gospel, the plight of those who are perishing. Where's the obedience to follow Christ? You know, those things are crucial. This is what these people are missing. So they're here. They're talking about Ezekiel to one another in public, in private, inviting one another to train. And remember now, at this point, Babylon... Uh, was pretty tolerant of the Jewish faith. Men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had kind of paved the way. You know, they took it on the chin early on, but now Nebuchadnezzar has warmed up to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So following the God of Israel at this point really wasn't a death sentence. You know, you... It's just ironic that we're going through Acts at the exact same time. And there, the early church, being a Christian was dangerous. You know, they're, they're seeking to lock those up and, and killing them. It was dangerous and it was shameful. Then you can fast forward to our time. You kind of, we kind of come full circle here, you know. And in our, in, our, in our days, especially in recent years, you could not be elected president of the United States if you wasn't a member of a church. If you didn't belong to a church, it was just the social thing to do. Becoming a church member was a rite of passage. It's what, it's what successful members of society do. Therefore, you get the term, many call it a country club. You know, just a, your church is a country club. You may hear that. And if that's who we are, we're not Christians assembling to hear the Word of God. We're exactly where these people are in Ezekiel 33. And I, I hope you notice the formalities as we see this. Uh, you, you, you get to bring a friend night. You know, it's what, come and hear what the Word is that comes from the Lord. That Bring a friend tomorrow night type thing. You know, uh, even rehearsing what Ezekiel was saying. They probably could rehearse it. 
Probably told him good message, brother, when he stepped down. Coming together, assembling, they're sitting before you, Ezekiel, as my people. Earlier they were called your people, but here they're sitting as, air quotes, my people. They're church folk doing church things. Perhaps, perhaps they even criticized the attitude of those left behind in Jerusalem. It's easy to see, I mean, it's easy for me to kind of picture this. Uh, you know, those over there, you know, they, they claim to be children of Abraham. They claim to love God, but they reject His Word. You can just hear them saying this. Not us, not us. We love to hear His Word. They hate Jeremiah. They hate the messengers of God over there, but we love Ezekiel. We listen to him. We can repeat what he says. And even the pointed messages. I'm sure Ezekiel delivered some very pointed messages. It doesn't offend them. They're not offended. They're not affected. They're numb. You see, at the end of verse 31, they come to you as my people. They come to you as my people. They sit before you as my people. They hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings a lustful song with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. They hear what you say, Ezekiel, but they will not do it. You know, you can hear without hearing. You know, our Lord often says throughout the Gospels, He who has an ear, let him hear. You know, and actually following the, the parable of the soils, or the sower, as it's called, in Luke 8 there, the Lord Jesus tells them to take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. Because in that parable, there were some who hear it, they receive it, they're choked out by the cares of this world, they're just entangled in the cares of this world, the persecutions kind of choke them out, and then it's right back to business as usual. Be careful how you hear. And I guess I'm making a distinction between hearing and hearing, and here's why. And I, I didn't, the third one I didn't mean to do. But at the beginning of Ezekiel's ministry, the Lord informed Ezekiel of this in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 7, But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they're not willing to listen to me. So why would he not listen to Ezekiel? Because he didn't want to hear what God had to say. Okay? Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. The house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. That's what he was told when his ministry was initiated, commissioned there in chapter 3. Here, 
They're coming to you as people come. They sit before you as my people and they hear what you say. That's the same Hebrew word there, Shema. So the question we have to ask when we look at those two passages is, did God get this wrong? He said they would not be willing to hear, but they are willing to hear. They're hearing, but they're not hearing. They're hearing, but they're not listening. They're, they're, they're hearing, but they're not doing. But they will not do it. I hope in your mind, your, your mind is running back to Jacob West's sermon last week, Sunday, James 1. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Because those who are hearers only are deceiving themselves. And this group, Ezekiel 33, are hearers only. That is crystal clear. He says it twice. They will not do it. But they come. They're talking about everything you're saying out in the streets, publicly, privately. They're inviting people. They're coming. They want to hear you, Ezekiel, because he was captivating to listen to. He held their attention. You or to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. But their heart is set on gain. You know, looking at that little verse there, we've read so far that there's two different reactions to God's Word. You know, the group left in Jerusalem, they had that reaction where they just despised what Jeremiah had to say. They... They, they thought they knew best. They had this, you know, distorted view of theology that all this stuff was, in, was due and owed to them. They were entitled. Two different reactions to God's Word. Two different attitudes toward God's messengers. You know, they hated Jeremiah. They're loving Ezekiel. But there's one common denominator. Both of these are seeking self-advancement. The Lord says here, their heart is set on gain. We're told in the first group over there that they're, they're thinking all oh, this is an opportunity. All this is going to come their way now. The Lord's kind of moved those out of the way. And now that those exiles are gone, this land will be mine. And both groups probably had looked down their noses at, at one another. Yet the Lord rebukes both. Both. Both groups really refuse to hear. They refuse to obey. Both groups. And the Lord, I think, repeats this line for emphasis when He says, For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Then we're told in verse 33 as it closes here, When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So then when this comes, that... that what is the, this comes? Well, it's not the destruction of Jerusalem. That's already occurred. It's not the destruction of those left behind in Jerusalem. That really wouldn't, you know, really be a dagger in the heart of those here in Babylon. More likely what this is referring to is that ver the passage, verses 12 through 20, their response and their personal accountability toward God's Word. When that comes, and come it will you will know that a prophet has been among you. When they stand in judgment, and they will, they will know that they had not been listening to just an entertainer. 
a great orator. They would know that Ezekiel was a prophet of God, not simply an eloquent speaker. So I hope, I hope you're just drawn into this passage. And I just want to make a, a shameless plug, I guess. You know, you, sometimes you, you start reading God's Word and you're not really, and then when you start getting into it and it starts sinking your teeth into it, it's good. The Word of God is good. And I would encourage any and all to read it, read it often, uh, read it thoroughly. But we don't need to have this view of Scripture where we're picking and choosing the parts we like and ignoring the parts we don't that the people in Jerusalem was doing. They were picking the parts that actually suited them and benefited them even at the expense of those who perished by the sword. They seemed to have no remorse for those, and they were guilty of the exact same thing. And we sure don't need to be this second group. And, you know, I guess since I haven't been thrown into a pit like Jeremiah, I would assume if we fall into either one of these groups or either one of these categories, it's going to be the latter, this group of exiles in Babylon. But I pray, I really do pray that this is not us. Because we do have uh, those here who love to hear the Word of God. They want to hear it. They're, they're talking about it. They're talking about it with their friends. They're, they're inviting people to church. Good things, good things, good things. But what good is it if it doesn't move you? If it doesn't change you? I read one commentator, and I can't remember his name now. He, he had a little quote about... You know, that Ezekiel's day, what, you know, we're not the first to have entertainers speaking the Word of God. You know, they looked at Ezekiel as an entertainer, not necessarily as a, as a, as a true prophet of God. He said, but the difference is the entertainer wants applause during and at the end of his sermon, where a true prophet of God wants to see change in the people he's ministering to. Something along those lines. And that's true. And it's not, this isn't just coming from me to you. It is, but it's coming from God to me as well. Okay, we, I, I need this. I, I need to, as Jacob said, I need to be a doer of the Word. I read these things. I need to hear these things. Not just, not just giving, you know, some, being able to repeat it and giving lip service to it. I need to, I need to act. I need to obey I was just amazed at how well these two messages kind of really tied together just a few short days apart. But uh, the Lord works all things out. And here we are again, closing up chapter 33. And I pray next week, I know, we'll be in chapter 34, uh, the passage there about the, the good shepherd and the wicked shepherd. That's going to be another good one as well. So we've kind of hit a good patch here in Ezekiel. I pray you stay excited about it, but not just excited in word only. I pray that it actually changes how you live your life, how you uh, treat others, how you think about God, how you respond to God in His Word. So if you would, please stand.